Father, we are excited because of your scripture, because of your, the word that you have entrusted to us. May we be faithful in disseminating and understanding, learning. I pray that there would be more enthusiasm in learning your word and adopting your word as our own speech, our own conversation. Renew our mind in the likeness of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and revive us again, Lord, to the love. Drive us, Lord, to live the gospel explicitly through our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. As Christian, we know that death is only sleeping. When Jesus spoke about Lazarus, he said, he's only asleep. But then the disciples didn't get it. So he said, Lazarus is dead. You know, to you, he's dead. But in the context of the kingdom or the context of the sun, he's only sleeping. That is where we are right now. I will behold thy face in righteousness. This is the key to everything that I will talk about today, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Meaning, if we want to be sleeping and not eternally dead, we need to be able to see God's face. And how can we see God's face? How can we behold the face of God who is righteous? Then that is what, what I want to explain today. To live again, God's original design for man is everlasting life. He never designed man to be damned in the lake of fire. That is not his original intent. Even though he ordained everything, if not, he's not God. He knew everything, he ordained everything, but he wanted us to be divine, to behold his face in the cool of the evening, God walks in the garden and said, hey Adam, where are you? He wants Adam to come into contact and come into communion with him. When we broke from his commandment, we become dissatisfied. Therefore, when the king says, I shall be satisfied, but only when I am awakened. What is he talking about? I believe that there are three stages of death and three stages of resurrection. Because of one man's disobedience, we are all doomed because of Adam's disobedience. One man's obedience, Christ, we are all counted, not all, but all those who are in Christ are counted as righteous in God. This is called what's called a forensic righteousness, meaning in the courtroom, the judge will say, you're righteous, not because of what you do, but because I said that you are righteous. Or more specifically, because of Jesus Christ, imputed righteousness. So the forensic righteousness is God counted us in the courtroom as righteous, not for what we have done or what we have will do. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are righteous by faith. Descent into hell, or Christians would like to call it the harrowing of hell, meaning Jesus went all the way to hell to save us. How is Jesus able to raise man from eternal sleep? We are um, accustomed to seeing those Hollywood movies like Sleeping Beauty and those fairy tales and we think about sleeping like a princess sleeping in a glass cage and then the prince comes. The part where it's kind of um, 
similar. Remember, the prince has to battle through the thickest of the forest and the dragon and all these. Actually, Jesus did that. He battled through the words of humanity to bring to us that kiss that raises from the dead. And rather thinking that we are sleeping in a glass cage, we are actually sleeping in hell. Where can I make my bed that you will not be there? So Jesus goes to the the lowest, the last place the soul can come to. There are three stages of death. The first stage is death of the spirit. God created Adam. He became man, but he was not alive until he breathed into Adam's nostrils and made him a living soul. So the breath of God is the spirit of man. And the spirit of man comes into our lives, making us a living soul, distinct from a living body. So there is a living soul and there's a living body. The death of the spirit is the unconsciousness of God. When we no longer know God, our spirit is dead. That is the first death. The death of the spirit is when we no longer know God. When Eve faced the tree and there was a serpent there, this is the battle of the knowledge of God. Eve was tested by the serpent. Did God not say? Both of them said, and she lost. She chose to believe what the serpent said rather than what she knew what God had said. Now, God was not there to tell you, believe me, don't believe. God is not in contention with the devil. He never is. The devil is not his enemy. So when we choose to disobey God, it is the unconscious or it is the conscious rejection of God's word that make our spirit die. And that is the death of the spirit. Comes the death of the spirit, the death of the soul. When Adam and Eve was pushed out of the garden from the tree of life, their soul and their spirit are dead. The death of the soul is disobedience. Comes rejection of the knowledge of God, comes disobedience. Adam took the fruit and ate it. He consciously disobeying God and that kills his soul. So that is the death of the soul. We are all in this state right now as I'm speaking to you we are in the state of the second death we're not in the state of the third death and if I'm mistaken raise your hand if you're already dead in your body but I know that none of us is dead yet in our body that is the third stage of death and when we are dead in the body there's no possibility of salvation the third death is the finality of this destructive eating of death that goes through from the spirit to the body and the body in the present state of our body is the only chance we get to get the restoration or resurrection and it begins first with the resurrection of the spirit the knowledge of god comes the resurrection of the soul obedience to god and then comes the resurrection of the body meaning we can still have resurrection from the spirit we have resurrection from the soul but our body still die it is already pronounced that we must die. To clarify this, when God said, when thou 
eat of this fruit, thou shalt die, meaning all parts will die. But here is the point where God comes and intervenes is between the death of the soul and the death of the body. Jesus Christ comes in. And now the resurrection of the spirit, the knowledge of God, the resurrection of the soul, the obedience to God, the body still needs to die because God already pronounced we have to die. But then comes after the resurrection of the spirit and the soul is the resurrection of the body through Jesus Christ. Those are the three stages of death. Now I want to tell you how Jesus Christ is able to resurrect us. To resurrect those who are believers in Christ. He went through all the stages and conquered every stage in this death that we experience so that he can save us through all of these stages into eternal life. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, Eloi, Eloi, labasabathani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A couple of things that happened to him at that time. Number one, his spirit left him. Jesus did not have the same spirit that we do. Jesus has the Holy Spirit. We have the breath of God as our spirit. Because Jesus took our guilt and therefore his soul is dead because he took our guilt. His body died on the tree. So he went into the depth of hell and then he took all of those who are in hell, Lazarus, Abraham, all the saints that died before the time of Christ, he took them all and now they are in that place that we will be until the resurrection of the body. So everyone will go into this place. Now there are different interpretations where this place is, but there is this place where our souls and our spirit are alive, but our body is still in the dust. There will come a time when Jesus comes back, the bodies will get returned to us, and then there's a, a transformation of the body from mortality will put on immortality, corruption will put on incorruption, and that's when we will be with the Lord in our bodies, the resurrection of the body. I will talk about the resurrection of the body in more detail in a different message. The ascent from hell begins with the resurrection of the spirit, the knowledge of God through Christ. Without this preaching of the gospel or the gospel being preached, we cannot know God. There are some that listen to the gospel, but they will reject the gospel. It is because their spirit is dead. They are dead to the gospel, and therefore they cannot accept the gospel. How is our spirit alive so that we can accept the gospel? It is only by the grace of God. There's nothing that you and I can do. It's only by the grace of God that our spirit is alive or awakened to the gospel. You share the gospel to someone and they will say, that is awesome. I never knew this. I never knew Jesus Christ did this for me. The Apostle Paul said, they're in the gospel is the power that saves those who believe. And then the majority of the people that you share the gospel to and you said, that old story again, it means nothing to me. The spirit cannot comprehend, cannot accept the gospel and therefore it cannot revive the spirit. 
So the resurrection of the Spirit means the knowledge of God through Christ. It is only by grace that our spirit, it's only because God breathed into our nose we have the Spirit. When Jesus Christ resurrected, He appeared to His disciples. We might remember this. Before He said, receive the Spirit, remember what He did? He breathed on His disciple and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it is still the breath of God that comes back to us in the resurrected Christ, the power that caused our spirit to be alive again. And God intends to awake those who are sleeping in Christ. The apostle says, I reckon the sufferings at this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So those who suffer with Christ shall indeed glorify with him. God intends for us to go through this process with Jesus Christ and inherit not only the suffering, but also the glory. The sufferings cannot compare to the glory that is to come. And only the knowledge of the gospel will give you the appreciation for this fact. Faith is impossible when the body dies. So we only get one chance. Our families only get one chance. Our friends only get one chance. I got an acquaintance. It was my barber. He's only 36 years old. I met him last time, it was in December. I was supposed to meet him again in January, but he died. I had an appointment and uh, the salon call said, oh, we're sorry, uh, Adam couldn't make it. They called again a few days later and said, we regret to tell you the news, he didn't make it, he died. His name was Adam. I thought about it, I really didn't try to convince him. I'm not sure if I can convince him, but I could have done more. And I can only do it when he was yet alive. We only get one chance. When the body dies, that's it. There's no more chance. Faith is only possible when we are living. If we die, we can't have faith anymore. It's no longer useful. Now, let me talk about the two kinds of faith. There are the temporary kind and there, there's a saving kind of faith. And this is where the anxiety comes in. If you have saving faith, then we know that through the gospel, into the kingdom, into the resurrection of the body, and into everlasting life. But if you don't have saving faith and you only have temporary faith, then that's not going to happen. We still go through the world, die in the body, and go to hell. So how do you know if you have saving faith? Or how do you know if someone has saving faith or they have only temporary faith? This is where the Christian returns to the promise and asks the question, do you really believe what Jesus has said? Do you truly believe in the gospel promise? It's a German word, anfectum. This is the word that Luther, the assault of Satan, the assault that the devil has in your mind. He said, God doesn't love you. God hates you. Your faith is not real. You haven't talked to anybody. You're, you're so afraid to talk to anybody. You never share your faith. You need to return to the gospel. The gospel promise is not because I can prove to you that, that I have saving faith, but the gospel says those who believe in Jesus Christ are saved. That's what the gospel says, and I believe in Jesus Christ. So devil, get out of my way. We need to get back to the gospel. The question I have is, do you know the gospel? We need to own up to this responsibility of knowing the gospel. 
That is my interpretation of Luther. But if you are Calvinist, Calvin says that you know that you have saving faith by the fruit that you produce. Good tree bear good fruit. So if you have the fruit of the Spirit, then you know you have saving faith. Now if your fruit is bad, you know the tree is bad. I'm trying to tread very careful with this, and that is taken from Romans chapter 8, and the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so that's Romans 8. I want to be very careful with this because I want to say this to a mature Christian. But the Spirit speaks to me. What does the word say? I don't know, but the Spirit speaks to me. That's very dangerous. We need to know the word first so that we know whether the Spirit is the Holy Spirit or it's an evil spirit. When Luther talked to Zwingli and he said, I don't know what spirit speaking to you, but it must be spirit of the devil. But I want to be gentle with this. And yes, the spirit does confirm with our spirit that we are sons of God. But first place the word first. Believe in the gospel. Once you have saving faith, that's your eternal ticket. That's how you know that you are going with Christ when you die. There is no assurance that we can feel, but there is plenty of assurance in the gospel that you can believe. We are saved by faith through grace alone. And when the gospel says, all that the Father has given unto me, I will lose none, or no one can tear them from my hand. Saving faith is your eternal ticket to a saved passage into the everlasting life with Jesus Christ. But we can only have that assurance while we live. We can't have someone pay so that we get out of purgatory. It doesn't work. So how do I know if I have saving faith? Check the fruit to see if you are adherent to Calvin's uh, teaching or the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit. For me, I stick to the gospel. I believe in the gospel promise. If the gospel is true, then it will produce fruit through my life. In the times that the devil comes to assault you and says that you're not worthy, you return to the gospel, what Jesus has said. Return to the gospel. There are many different anxieties that Christians have, but um, if you believe that there is eternal security, then you would have to ask yourself, Do, is my faith real? my faith true? If you are... Um, adherent to uh, Luther, then um, baptism was a sign of your conversion. And every time you come back to repentance or the sacrament of penance, it's when you are saved again and again. You're justified again and again. Uh, the composite parts of our human nature. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And this is where I got the three parts from. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body preserved, blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, your soul, and your body preserved. God breathed, we got his spirit, our soul revived, we have a living body, we lose the knowledge of God, we disobey God, our spirit dies, our soul dies, then comes the body. 
man must be sanctified wholly for the preservation of the coming of the Lord. So it starts with the revitalization or restoration or resurrection of the spirit first, knowledge of God, restoration of the soul, obedience to God, and then thirdly, the body. Let's talk about the spirit, the breath of God. In Job chapter 32, verse 8, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So, the job of the, whole, of the spirit of man is understanding. Without the spirit, we cannot understand anything. The soul is the seat of passion. I want to draw that distinction. But the spirit is the seat of understanding, of knowledge. It is the spirit of man that makes us understand God or rejects God. When the spirit of man dies, he rejects God and, and lives based on his baser instincts. It is man's spirit that enables him to have a relationship with God because it was God that breathes his spirit into our nostrils. Man understands that he's a sinner. We know that our spirit is being regenerated, meaning becomes alive again, when we realize that we are a sinner. He understands that God is righteous and loving out at the same time. I want to draw this out so that you understand. There were two thieves that were executed with Christ. And one turned to him and says, if you are the Christ, why don't you get down from the cross and get us down too? Save us, in another word. But save us according to how I like us to be saved. There is the other man on the other side, and listen to what he says. He said, you're a sinner, telling the other guy. We deserve what comes to us. And then he turns to Jesus, and he said this. He said, remember me. No condition. He just says, remember me. Don't forget me. The two men represented two different spirits. One with the knowledge of God and one without the knowledge of God. The one with the knowledge of God accepts that he is a sinner and begs for nothing except, Christ, please remember me. Peter recognizes it was the Lord in front of him. He fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. Depart from me. When our spirit is resurrected, we recognize that we are sinners. There's no hope for us. We also recognize that God is the only one that can do and He's capable of doing everything. And He is just to damn us. And that God and through God alone that we may have salvation, but we hope not any in ourselves. So the regenerative process of the Spirit also begins to rejuvenate our soul. When your spirit, when you come to the knowledge of God, when the gospel of God opens up to you, then His Spirit begins to speak with our spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks with our spirit. This is where Roman 8 comes in. And we are instructed to not obey the flesh, but obey the spirit. I'm careful to use instructed because the Spirit commands us, but we need to obey the Spirit rather than the flesh. Now, if you obey the flesh, does that mean that you have not the Spirit of God? No, it doesn't. 
The Spirit of God influences us. And we are a child. When you tell a child to do something, you have some authority over the child, but it doesn't mean that the child will always obey you. But then, as the child learns and grows, because we are born again in the kingdom of God, the, the regenerative part of the, uh, of the Spirit is the state where I call being born again. Is the born again into the knowledge of God. And we begin to grow and become more and more obedient to that voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. And then we will instruct the baser or the lesser part of our being, that is the soul, to not live by its passion. Let's talk about the soul, the mental nature of our being. The soul is your animal instinctual aspect of our being. When you hear an explosion, you will jump and you will go hot. Or if you have a finer instinct, then you jump and try to save your baby. Those instincts are controlled by the spirit. What kind of spirit that you have? The inferior part of the mental nature, the seed of passion and desire of the natural propensities. Those things that the Apostle Paul loves to call our lusts. Those things that we lust after. For the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh. If so be, the Spirit of God is in you. If the Spirit of God is in us, then the Spirit of God which speaks to our spirit and we subject ourselves. Now this requires maturity. We tell a little kid to do something, it's hard for them to do. But for a mature adult, we tell them, and if that person is a person of understanding with a right spirit, then he will resist the temptation and obey the command. When you have been given the grace to believe the, the gospel of Christ, your spirit begins the process of regeneration, then it triggers into the, now you have a choice, whether to obey the flesh or to obey the spirit. An unregenerated spirit does not have that choice. We will always give in to his lust. Now, he might do something that we can construe that those are good things, but they are not godly things. The spirit that has been resurrected by God would obey the things that be contrary to his own nature. So the soul is your personality, your passion, your propensity, your mental nature. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 4 draws this distinction for us. An unregenerated soul, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. This is the product of your life that you know that you have an ungenerated soul. One can't say, like the Apostle James says, show me someone who has work and I'll show you someone who has faith. The evidence in our lives does tell you. I can't say for sure whether a person is regenerated, but through their works, it's evident. So if you see me hating people, then definitely my soul is not regenerated. But in verse 4, kindness, love of God, our Savior toward man. Love of God, love of man. The evidence that there is, got to have the former. Without former, there is no latter. So love of God must come first. We see a lot of people do charity work. They have love 
for men, but there is no love for God. Unregenerated soul. They do it for other reasons, but the regenerated soul has kindness and love for God and love toward men. A regenerating soul is one that is growing in love for God and for other souls. The propensity for lust, selfishness, hatred, evil are still there as the soul maturing, but the spirit yields to Christ's spirit and commit to believing in the living word. So our spirit, after being revived, changes the proclivity of the soul, causing the soul to lean toward God and not toward ourselves. Last state is the body, the fleshly state, gets regenerated in the end. None of us experience that yet. We have, all of us have experienced regenerated spirit and soul, but none of us has experienced the regenerated body. When your body is regenerated, you can go through walls. You're not affected by material things. Just like Jesus, when he appeared in the middle of the disciples, even though the disciples saw the nails and the, the piercing, it was his body. But he's able to be wherever he wanted to be. We won't be omnipresent like God. We're not hindered by the world as we know it. Body is a vessel that embodies both the soul and the spirit. And an unregenerated man is defiled from the inside. The soul lust. Jesus says, clean the inside the bowl and the outside will be clean. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, then the outside of them may be clean also. The spirit is cleansed, then the soul is cleansed. And when the soul is cleansed, you are not engaging in filthy lucre or evil acts. And that's how your body is cleansed. So it's, it is in the inside that needs to be cleansed first. The body reflects the condition of the soul. The spirit is renewed to the knowledge of Christ. And then the spirit regenerates the soul. And the soul changes how we behave and act toward other. And that's how we change as the individual. The body is cleansed from the filth and sin when it's cleansed, when we hear the spirit. The reason that we can hear the spirit is because our spirit is regenerated. When we can hear the spirit, we can obey the spirit. That's when our soul is regenerated. When our soul hears and responds to the Holy Spirit, we begin to do godly things, spiritual things, divine things, and those cause our body to be cleansed and prevent the flesh from controlling the body because the flesh is the temple of God. God is interested in cleansing this temple because it houses both very spiritual things that we have, the soul and the spirit. They are spiritual and they are holy things. And therefore, the flesh is the temple of God and it needs to be cleansed as well. And God fills the temple, pour out his blessing upon us because of the regenerative process that God has done through Jesus Christ. Each of the three parts get resurrected by the power of Christ's resurrection. The starting point is the return to Christ and fear of God. We know that we are, our spirit is regenerated when we know God and we fear God and we obey God. Jesus told the people in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him 
which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The differences in the words that are being used here is one that is killed and the other one is destroyed. Man can kill your body, but God can destroy both. The destruction is permanent. Kill is temporary. So Christians can be killed, our bodies, and we have seen martyrs, but God is able to resurrect the body. But when God destroys your body, there is no coming back from hell. Fear God, the law that terrifies us and turns us back to the visible side of God, who is Jesus Christ. I spoke earlier about the anxieties that we have. The Old Testament is the hidden face of God, and the New Testament is the visible face of God. The things that are frightful in the Old Testament is that we know that we can't keep all the laws that God has detailed in there. But in the New Testament, we can always run to the New Testament and its promises. And God says, I love you. I've, I've done it all for you. And at the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing more for you to add to your own salvation. Just trust me. Believe in me. And Jesus appeared to his disciples in their fear and reassured them that he has returned to God. And then he said this. He breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The two things that we receive when Christ comes to us, the breath of God is now restored our spirit. Not only that, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit to teach us everything that Christ taught because he's not here anymore. And even when he was, his disciples didn't understand him until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it is the Holy Spirit. And he said this, the awakening of the soul, John chapter 20, verse 21, he said, as my father has sent me, even so I send you. We are happiest when we get to do God things. We are most miserable when we feel as if we are useless. To be used by God is the happiest state to be in as a human being. Think about God as the creator. What does he do in his spare time? He creates things and it makes him happy. Work used to be something that brings joy, but Adam ruined it all for us, right? He turned work into labor. But God's original intent was that work is something that we enjoy. Here's the garden. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. There are work that I dread and there are work that I'm happy to do. And the kind of work that I'm happy to do is create things. I like to create things. I can spend hours and I can not eat. And you've seen this. We've seen people who are so involved in their work. Thomas Edison was one of these people. He had other competitors. What they would try to do is to figure out the filament in the bulb. What kind of filament? Who can make the light bulb last longest? He tried 6,000 different ways. He even took the assistant beard and tried it and see if it works. And God intends for us to be productive. So my father sent me Jesus when the disciples said, Lord, look at all these people. Let's feed them. They love you. Let's stay here. And Jesus responds to them, I need to do my father's work. There are other places I need to go. He was excited to do the Father's work, and that's why he's constantly saying, I need to do my Father's work. And we as Christians, when we are awakened to God's glory, 
then we want to. It's not, oh no, I need to do ministry again. The awakening of the soul, and then lastly, the awakening of the body. As promised by the gospel, that Christ became the first fruit of those who sleep in him, the resurrection of your spirit and soul will be followed by the resurrection of your body. And that is the last step. Now, some people believe that we don't need the body. That is not scriptural. Jesus Christ, when he was resurrected, he had a body. His body at the right hand of the Father. Now, God is omnipresent, so is he here? Is he not here? There are nuances of things that in our mind we can't fully comprehend what eternity and what omnipresence is. And that is why when we receive the communion, the biggest division between different Protestant faith is whether or not Jesus Christ, his body, is the bread. So I'll give you an illustration where the differences between Catholic, Luther, Calvin. The Catholic believes in transubstantiation, meaning the body of Jesus Christ is present in the bread and when, when the priests make the pronouncement that this is my body, that bread turns into the body of Jesus Christ when you put it into your mouth. So that's where the first division is. Luther believes that that's an extra miracle that doesn't need to be there. But he believes that when Jesus says that this is my body, it means that this is his physical body. So when you put it into your mouth, the bread is Christ's body, but the bread is also there. It doesn't change, the bread doesn't change into Christ's body. Um, Zwingli believes that it's symbolic. Christ is already in, with the Father, he's not here. So if Christ with the Father, then how can he, his body, Christ, as in the human body of Christ, is with the Father, how can he be in the bread? And then Luther counters, well, isn't God omnipresent? So can't he be in the bread? So there you go. We'll never come to a full resolution with these debates. But I'll, I'll return to the resurrection of the body. It is necessary that we need our bodies. Main reason is because the Apostle Paul taught the church. We will all be resurrected. Some people have these anxieties, like I know some people in my family doesn't want to be cremated. God created everything out of nothing, so surely he can put us together. Everything will be brought back, our body will be transformed, the spirit of God and the soul that God has redeemed will return to our body, then we will be physically with Christ forever. And that is the gospel. So I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when we awake this body with thy likeness. And when we are awakened, we have the righteousness and the likeness of God himself. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word, the sure word, a promise that you have for us. The gospel into our lives and begin to examine the process in which you have gone through to save us to sacrifice, to define for us and chart for us the path that we would convey this truth, the gospel of life to people around us in hope, Lord, for their salvation. What a glorious day when we stand there before innumerable souls 
And all of them sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Lord, what a glorious sight to see salvation and the glory of God through your Son, Jesus Christ, what you have done and what you continue to do through us. And in the end, Lord, we all will be with you to stand in the presence of God, to behold your likeness, and to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen.